We will be looking at Proverbs 4 this morning, verses 10 to 23. Uh, as you've, if you've been following with us, we're going through the book of Proverbs. We're talking about wisdom. Uh, the first Sunday, we really looked at just the def- definition of Proverbs. Last week, we spent time looking at the heart, that, that, fl- that wisdom flows out of the heart. And this week, we're going to ratchet it up a little bit on how to keep the heart. Verse 23 of our very passage this morning talks about keeping the heart. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's look at the scripture together, starting in verse 10. Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a God who delights to give us wisdom. You delight to give us life. And you, you delight to give us streams of water that would flow with life. So this morning, I pray that we would understand that, those sayings, those scriptures, and that we would walk closer to you in response to this passage. In your name we pray, amen. There's a lot of Proverbs, not only in the book of Proverbs, but there are a lot of Proverbs in the world Uh, One proverb goes like this, those who have plenty want more and so lose all they have. That is a proverb attached to a very famous story that all of us are aware of. It's the story of the goose that lays the golden egg. I read it this week. There's a lot of versions, but there's like a one-page classic version. And if you, just to remind us all, there's a man, a farmer in some ancient place And he comes out one morning and the goose has laid this beautiful golden pure gold egg, takes it to town, makes a lot of money. Every day there's a new egg. He grows rich, but eventually gets impatient and decides to kill the goose and open the goose up to find the source of eggs. And it's absurd, isn't it? Like it's the most absurd thing you could possibly do in this situation. I think most of us think, how foolish, right? Why would you do that? Why would you take this one thing that's producing so much blessing and crush it to get more? Yet we do it every day, right? This proverb talks about your heart as being the source of life, and our heart from it flows streams of water, but for us, so often we want life so badly we run after the wrong things and in effect crush the heart, killing the one thing that brings life And so this morning, what we're going to see from this passage is because springs of life do flow from the heart, we must learn how to keep it. How do you keep your heart? 
And we're going to look at three things. And I'm not going to tell you all ahead of time. I'll just start with point one. One way you keep your heart is getting wisdom. That works, doesn't it? Since we're having a series on wisdom. We didn't read the first 10 verses. Had we read them? In verse seven, you would have heard these words. The beginning of wisdom is this. Now, earlier we heard fear of the Lord, right? In chapter one. But here it says this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Ready for it? Get wisdom. I love it. It, it, It's like a father going, listen to me. Get it. Do it. (laughs) Please. Urging us. Okay. So how do we get wisdom? We get it. Let's go. Let's unpack that a little more. In our passage, verse 11 says this, I have taught you the way of wisdom. Last week, we discussed that word to mean mannerisms, habits. What are you doing daily to get wisdom? You cannot cram wisdom. A lot of college students love to cram. Are any of you guys that cram? People like wait till the last minute. I remember in seminary, Professor Peterson was kind of going over the test that was two weeks out, reminding us some things that were on it. Oh, by the way, remember, you need to have all the shorter catechism questions memorized. There's 100, uh, because several of them will be on the test. By the way, he says, if you haven't begun doing this, forget it. It's too late. I'm thinking, oh, there's 20 points in my exam, gone. Uh, But there was a lot of wisdom in that. Um, The thought that I, I just carry with me, I can cram it when I need it. Right now, in this world, I think we all can relate to the fact we're longing for wisdom, and so many of us are starved for it because we don't really practice it daily. So specifically, what I would like us to understand, I think the chief way we get wisdom is Christian meditation. Last week, we touched on that a little bit. Eastern meditation is an emptying of your brain, having nothing in your mind, but Christian meditation is the opposite. It's having truth in your mind. It's meditating on the Word of God and and bending to it, which we discussed last week as well. Verse 13 says this, keep hold of instruction. Um, You don't have to go to the Hebrew to know these words and to meditate on them, but it helps a little bit to look at their definition. But I think even in the English, keep hold, you you can grasp what it means. It, it, It means that. It means to grasp, to cling, I envision holding, a, you know, don't let it go. A person hanging off the cliff. I've got you. You're clinging to it. And then the next point, clinging to what? Instruction. So often we hear the word instruction. We think of just, you know, put this screw and drill it into that hole and step A, B, and C. But really, instruction, both in English and then what it, how it is meant here, it's much more like bend, contort. Like it's, it's, it's telling you how to do it, Right? Uh, if, if for any of us that have taken lessons, I know Chris Tidlin gives golf lessons. If I'm ever taking a lesson, I don't want any instruction. What I want is, well done. That looked perfect. But when you hear instruction, it's kind of painful, isn't it? And one of the actual definitions of the word is chastisement. Become somebody, this point number one would teach, become someone who loves correction. Like Become somebody, the gospel is working in you in such a way that when I go to the word of God, or in community, I can be corrected. I can be trained. I can improve. Um, I think one of the places where we see this in the context of meditation is Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, famously, we talk about it from time to time. The psalmist, the, the book opens by saying, Blessed is the man 
who walks, and then it gives us the negatives, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of God. Now, what we're told is two things. One, if you do this, what he's doing, you will be an evergreen tree. You will be a tree that's always in season, that never sheds leaves. You will, you will be vibrant and healthy. And what is it you have to do, according to this? Meditate on the law day and night. The word law there doesn't mean the Ten Commandments alone. It means the Bible. And what the person is doing that's wise in Psalm 1, and obviously carries over to Proverbs 4, is delighting daily in the law, like meditating on the law, but not just reading the Bible, but actually bringing our own lives to bear. Like, what will I do differently because of what I've just read? If I read 1 Corinthians, it says, love is patient, and I just go, that's so lovely. I'm going to go to work now. Like, that's fine. But what if I actually ask myself, where am I not patient? Where am I struggling with kindness? And I begin to allow it to work on me in meditation. Um, the Karate Kid is the, probably one of the best movies about meditation. If there was a lot of people here, we would have heard a little bit of a laughter. Karate Kid, Ralph Maggio, I really cannot remember his name. I should have looked it up wants to learn karate from Mr. Miyagi. And you know the original Karate Kid. A lot of the younger people have watched the second edition. Daniel-san, of course, thank you. I should have known. I was Ryan-san. So Daniel-san goes to Mr. Miyagi's home. He's ready to learn karate. And what happens? Mr. Miyagi says, you're going to clean all those cars. Wax on, wax off. And he's furious. He's like, this is ridiculous. But he does it. And then when he finishes, you've got to wash, I, I don't even, what the, we paint something, paint the fence. And then there, was, there are other things, okay? There were other things. There were things. I've, I've seen the movie. I saw it in 1987. But what happens, of course, we know, is when it comes time to actually need karate in real time, those grooved behaviors deliver him. It's the grooving of behavior. And so meditation is something we do daily to be ready for the time of life's trials, which come periodically, because at those moments, you can't cram it. You can't say COVID-19 is here. Now I'm going to start trusting in Jesus. My, the economy is going to tank. Racism's on the right. Like, problems come. Are we people that are ready for those problems because of meditation? Let me just, before I move to point two, the hologram in Star Trek. I think of Star Trek, The Next Generation. There's a room, it's like, has a grid, and you tell it what you want, and now it's a scene from Paris 1922 or whatever. That's what meditation might look like. Like, bring up your past. In your prayer time, remember, yesterday I got angry. And bring it to Scripture. Where did I go wrong? What was the tick that created that process? What... We, we bring our lives to bear. So many of us want to forget the past. But the Bible would say, actually, examine these processes, these lives, and meditate on Scripture and bring the two together. That you would know in the future, oh, in the path when I see that, warning, curve, you know, paths. I love the term path because path means I have no idea what's ahead. I've never traveled that before. But because of Scripture and wisdom and my 
Christian meditation through prayer and reading scripture, I'm able to navigate a path. The word is a light unto the path. So that's what we're doing in our daily quiet times. Let me just ask you this question. If I said, when do you wake up? Most of you would tell me a time. When do you try to eat lunch? Most of you would tell me a time. Do you see where I'm going with this? When do you watch Netflix? Most of us would tell, this is when I turn that on. When do you meditate? What's that mean? Like we struggle and I wanna just encourage us all, myself included, set a time, a short period of time, a long period of time, a longer period of time. And in that time, come to the word and meditate, chew on it, pray. We'll talk more about that as we go. So that's just a beginning application that we'll build on because second point, is this. Not only do we get wisdom, we have to avoid evil. Doesn't that just sound like the weirdest point? I'm smiling because it just sounds interesting, but it's in our, it's in our verse. Verse 14, or 13 says, as we've already mentioned, keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her. She's your life. And then 14 transitions. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Now, earlier I jokingly said, can you imagine, you know, how do you get wisdom? You get wisdom, right? That you hear a father kind of telling a child, don't do bad things. Watch out for evil. And you hear the child saying, I know, dad, right? But part of wisdom is going, wait a minute, why do you keep saying this? There must be some real evil out there. And so I want us to see that there is so much evil in this world. And I think one of the biggest problems Christians have is we, we like to delude ourselves. We think the best of everything. We want to be positive. Those are great qualities. But when evil is coming at us and we don't see it, that's, a, that's tantamount to going down the path of evil. So part of wisdom and gaining wisdom and meditation is not only you know, looking at scripture and praying through it, but it's bringing your life to bear and bringing what you see in the world to bear and believing there is evil. Verse 16 says this, they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. Do you hear that? It sounds like a plural. It sounds like a group even, doesn't it? It sounds like there's a bunch of people. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Lately, there's been a lot of discussion about racism, and I'm not going to dive into it very far, but one of the things that comes up is systemic racism. And I've heard a lot of people say, there's no systemic racism. It's America. And let's just back away from that for a minute. I just want you to hear what I want to, I want to say something very clearly. Satan wants to take you out. Satan wants to take us all out. And the evil in this world uses systems, 100%. Every system gets infected. Capitalism, socialism, every ism, every system out there has the potential to be infected with evil. And certainly racism is one of those areas. Um, just examples of redlining. Um, I know, Brian, you've posted on that, but, but redlining with, with the way neighborhoods were, were set up is a type of systemic racism that's happened in the last 40 years. And in some cases, could still be happening. I mentioned last week the concept of plea bargaining. I, I, just, I'm not in, I know I'm not in the legal system. I know there's a lot of practical reasons. But to be promised a trial by the jury of your peers and then to be told that you're going to go to jail for longer if you use that freedom feels systemic to me. So there is systemic evils out there and it usually comes often what, from people not recognizing evils in our midst. How famous is uh, the story of Chamberlain meeting with Hitler and coming back to England and saying, he's not that bad. 
You know? I think we should give him a pass. And then they celebrated. He's not going to, we signed the agreement. He's not going to invade Czechoslovakia. Six months later, he's in Czechoslovakia. And down goes the dominoes. Wisdom sees evil and names it. But not only evil out there, wisdom sees evil inside of us. When you look again at verse 16, it's really describing, I think, addiction. They cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. If you know anything about addiction, it's having gone so far down the path of of some sin pattern that it no longer brings pleasure, but it simply relieves stress. And if you've ever had a temptation, have you ever noticed, like, I don't, whatever the temptation is, to buy something, to gossip, to look at something on the internet, to say whatever, it's often like, if I just do it, I'll feel better. I'll deal with the consequences later. So there's also personal evil. And wisdom is learning ahead of time, what are those triggers for yourself? Not only systemically and socially and out there, but in my own heart. I think one great example of that is the screw tape letters, where Lewis is writing these, these fictional letters between Uncle Screwtape and Wormwood, the little demon, whose job it is to carry out this, you know, this attack on one of, the, one of his clients. And Lewis is just doing a great job of writing these letters. You, you almost picture meditations where he's like saying, this is how I think the enemy might work in my heart on my life. And we've seen lately, there are people who write modern versions of those. And it's not a bad practice to like imagine what would it look like for the enemy to try to take you out? Where would they go? What would they do? And what about your own flesh? Are you aware that our flesh is trying to take us down? Isn't that encouraging? So part of our meditation then is not only feasting on the good news of scripture, but it's taking these warnings and being willing to look at our lives and know there are these places where we're prone toward evil. But I think the biggest thing evil does is it tries to woo you down the path of easy street. That's really what I want to just come back to verse 13. Uh, Keep hold of instruction. Again, instruction being hard challenges. Have you ever heard someone say, let's just all get along. What's being said is, let's all not deal with conflict. Let's all just act happy and then go away and harbor our bitterness. That's what's being said. And so when you have to get along in a relationship, it takes bending and work and effort. And so I think one of the ways evil works is it tries to pretend that life should just be easy. So one great place for us to look is where am I just trying for life to be easy? Where am I just trying to go down paths that look easy? And before you know it, you're ensnared because we're not living in that daily grooving of scripture, meditation, repentance, and faith and growing in the Lord. So what's the, what's the secret then to wisdom if we've heard about meditation and watch out for evil? Where's the power source of wisdom? Our last point, and I'm just gonna draw us to verse 23 and spend some time meditating on this. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. In an ancient setting, every town would need flowing water. Of course, we still need that today, but now we have irrigation and piping. We don't see it. But every town in an ancient setting would have a well in the middle or some spring of water coming through it that moves. And it's coming from outside in and it brings life. Stagnant water is not helpful. And so uh, Jeremiah 2 picks up on that theme. 
Listen, it's familiar for you maybe. For my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me. That's the Lord. Listen to how he describes himself. The fountain of living waters. That's the first evil. Really, it's two sides of a coin. The other side of that coin is they've dug cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. So what are these evils? They're the two sides of one coin trying to live apart from God. That's what we do. That's easy street. That's me figuring out my techniques, my systems. I don't want the difficult path of repenting and faith in Jesus Christ. I want to go down the easy road. But do you hear how God describes himself? Fountains of living water. In the New Testament, you see John really picking up that theme, Jesus, excuse me, in the book of John. And we had it in our assurance of pardon. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he yells. And this is just fascinating that Jesus has kind of stealthily come into this feast. People didn't know that he was going. If you know the story, he didn't say he was going. They all went without him. He's up north in Galilee. Somehow he finds his way on the great day to be present at some location in the temple or somewhere. And in the middle of this, he stands up and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And if you're there, either you're like, what's this guy doing? No one's thirsty, Jesus, right? Or you're thinking, yes, yeah, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Are you thirsty? Do you long for water? Jesus continues, if you, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It sounds like he's quoting our proverb, doesn't it? Out of your heart, if you believe in Jesus, will flow water, rivers of water. And John gives us a, a sort of a parenthetical. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who will come to those of you, us, you at home, who believe in Jesus. What does that mean? That means if we are Christians, the Holy Spirit is the reason why. It's the, the Spirit seals Christ. He pours out the blessings of Christ. So if we are in Christ, we no longer are living out of a broken cistern that we would inherit from Adam. We're now living with a flowing stream from the Holy Spirit of living water. Is that where we find our identity? <clears throat> okay, what does this look like? Do you want to hear some good news? How do you all respond to that? When people come to you and say, hey, you want some good news? Here's what I do. My mind starts doing this scan What's the best news? Like, I would love to win the lottery, but I'm pretty sure that's not the news. What would be, you know, like, for example, if I've had a health concern, maybe I'm, my scan would be, I want to hear that I'm okay, right? Like, if I've had financial difficulties, if I've lost it, like, you scan, don't you, when you hear the question? And oftentimes, the good news doesn't quite meet it, right, what you are hoping. But the point I'm making is good news is usually what? What do we want? Relief. We want some form of relief. We want some form of knowledge that your problems are gone. The concern you have right now has been lifted. Right? What's your greatest stress? What's, what's weighing you down? And the answer, by the way, is this. Death. Right? No. It's not death. It's just finances. But yeah, but if you really trace the deeper problem you feel, it's that there's this fear that you're going to just 
it just disappear. Like you're going to go hungry. You're going to, your dreams are going to fall by the wayside. No one's going to love you. Like all of this stress that builds up in our psyche is a, is a heart of unbelief. And when the spirit comes, he says, I have good news. I have good news. You're free. Where does that stress come from? The law. See, the problem with wisdom is this. The wisdom is the Torah, all the rules and laws, played out in your daily life, coming at you, and it's saying, I'm going to use Tidlin for just a moment. You know, bend your knees. Don't move your head. You don't say these things. Swing this way. Use that grip. And the, and, and the person's going, I'm overwhelmed. And, and really, a good golf pro might just say, yeah, you probably aren't going to ever learn this. Like, <laughs> you might just want to just put the clubs. I mean, you know. That's what the law does, right? Um, what is, what is the, the song we sing? Jesus has hushed the law's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. When we sing these songs, please listen. We choose them for a reason. We sing them for a reason. They've lasted hundreds of years for a reason. He has hushed Mount Sinai's flame. He has quenched the law's loud thunder. That word, by the way, instruction, also means chastisement, and it's used in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. What that means is the law is coming in and saying, fix this, do this, do this, and you will live. And Jesus says, guess what? I've got good news. You already live. So now the law comes in and goes, oh, okay. So you're good, but let me just give you a few pointers to make life a little bit smoother. And it's a lot less dangerous. And now it's actually a beautiful thing. We can come to instruction and not fear death. We come to instruction and go, I want to learn more. Please teach me more. Because it actually is something we can do because of the power of Christ and the loveliness of Jesus. Okay, that's a lot of information. We've been going for 26 minutes. How many of you are comfortable with meditating? I just want to show of hands. How many can meditate for four minutes? Just sit and listen for four minutes. Because I'm going to read something for four minutes. And if you don't like it, that's on you. It's too late. The exam's coming. No, I'm kidding. Please use this as it just kind of wiggle your arms, feel your fingertips. I'm going to read you a meditation. This is actually a sermon part of a short part of a sermon from Jonathan Edwards. And Coleman's going to put it on the board behind me in just a moment. Jonathan Edwards famously wrote, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Even in secular humanities class, they love to tell everybody that sermon. It's a, it's a fine sermon, uh, but he's written many, many, many other sermons that are dripping with gospel. And at age 19, by the way, Edwards lived in the late 16, early 1700s. I should know the exact dates. Um, he was a Puritan in America, but up in New England, and he took over his grandfather's church. And, but age 19, I believe at that point, he's actually in New York City, and it's one of his early pastorates, and he's 19 years old writing what I'm going to read you. And I think you're going to hear a meditation on these truths that I hope will teach us how we might take Scripture and chew on it and meditate on it, that our hearts would grow warm as we go forward. Okay, you ready, Coleman? How great a happiness must need it be to a man to have all his sins pardoned and to stand guilty of nothing in God's presence. 
to be washed clean from all his pollutions, to have the great and eternal and almighty Jehovah who rules and governs the whole universe and doth whatsoever he pleases in the armies of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth, reconciled to him and perfectly at peace with him. How great a pleasure and satisfaction must it be to him to think of it. And not only that God is reconciled to him or has nothing against him inasmuch as all is pardoned, but also that this same almighty being who created him who keeps him in being and who disposes of him, that means uh, takes care of him, protects him, oversees him, and all other things every moment, loves him. And that with a great and transcendent love. And that he has adopted him and taken him to be his child and given himself to him to be his father and his portion. And that takes care of him as one that is very dear to him, continually guides and directs him and will lead him to the fountain of living waters. And how joyful and gladsome, that's a good word to use every now and then, how gladsome are you? And how joyful and gladsome must the thought of Jesus Christ be to him, to think with how great a love Christ has loved him, even to lay down his life and suffer the most bitter torments for his sake, who also now continually intercedes for him at the throne of grace. To consider that so great a person has the eternal Son of God, who also made the worlds, is his Lord and Master, and is not ashamed to call us brethren, who will come in and sup with him, that means eat, and he with him, and to see his arms expanded to embrace him, and offering himself to be embraced by him. And beside, what a satisfaction and pleasure must it give to his mind to think that he is now sanctified and made holy, adorned and beautified with those lovely graces that make him lovely in the sight of God and excellent in the sight of saints and angels. To reflect on himself and consider that he acts rationally and doth that which the best of beings has commanded, that he in some measure acts worthy of the nature of a man. In some measure answers the end of his coming into the world and glorifying God and doing good to his fellow creatures and that he has not lived altogether in vain. Not as it is with many. They live in the world and, I don't know that word, birth in the same and had better be dead than alive for all the good they do in it or any they do toward manifesting the glory of him that made them. The reflection on these things affords such a peace and pleasantness to the mind as far exceeds and is immensely above all outward delights. You might want to read that a few times. This is a man, Edwards, who meditates on Scripture. He would ride his horse from location to location, just meditating on the Word of God and overwhelmed by the glories around him. Uh, He would take the thoughts and ideas he had and pin them on little notes. Uh, They didn't have Apple phones and stuff, so they pin them on their outer Uh, garments. But the point is he walked with Jesus. Now here's the good news. Do you want that? Because you have it. You don't have to earn this. If you want Jesus, he is yours. And what wisdom is begging you to do and me to do, if we're not a Christian, is it's saying, wake up and receive Christ. And if you are a Christian, I think wisdom is saying the same thing. Wake up and believe. Believe. 
Believe on him. Let the rivers of living water flow through you. Trust in Jesus. And let's do that through daily meditation on the word and processing these truths and bringing our lives to bear. And I think over time, you can't cram it, but over time, wisdom will continue to improve and increase your ability to glorify God. Let's pray. Father, we want wisdom. We thank you that wisdom is a disposition you give us, but it's also a a trajectory that we're moving. Lord, you long to see your sons and daughters filled with your spirit, likened to you, that we would bring balm and healing to this world. Lord, reason and loving thoughts and caring responses to such tragedies. Lord, the willingness to love our enemy, the willingness to look at our own thinking and our own behaviors and be shaped and changed by the truths of Scripture. But Lord, we know all of that's only possible because of what Jesus has done. He has crushed the law's loud thunder, and now we can go and learn of the law without fear of death. So Spirit, I pray you would make that true in our lives this morning and every day. Amen. Let's respond to our, uh, our gospel presentation with our confession of faith. If you'll please stand. This is another read and response. We're engaging these words. We are meditating on them from Hebrews 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen.